this is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hey there, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam. And today, Sam and I have read Gut, the inside story of our body's most underrated organ, written by Julia Anders. I just learned that she published this book at the age of 25, which made me feel weird about my life choices. Anyway, yeah. The, it's not the, the, okay. come on. No, it's true. <laughs> We're each on our own journey. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Anyway, so for too long, the gut has been the body's most ignored and least appreciated organ, but it turns out that it's responsible for more than just dirty work. Our gut is literally and figuratively at the core of who we are. And so the book starts with a voyage through our full digestive tract, discussing the pain-killing powers of our saliva, the shape and structure of our intestines, and ends with the best position to sit on the toilet. And so the second part discusses the nervous system of the gut, where why we vomit, why we have acid reflux, and what causes constipation or diarrhea. And in the final part, and this was for me the most interesting part, is discusses like our microbiome, so all the bacteria and all the microbes in our gut. And so those actually have a huge impact on who we are, like how we feel on our lives in general. And so I found that pretty interesting. The book was easy to read, so it's written for, you don't have to be like a major in, in biology to understand stuff, and it tries to keep everything pretty light, which <laughs> I don't know how about you, Sam, uh, about you, Sam, but I found it tried to be too funny, and I didn't find it funny at all. You have a same yeah. thing? Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't really funny, even though you know that she was saying jokes, yeah. you're like, well, good. I did, I did anyway. go air through, <laughs> and I remember, for example, in Why Buddhism is True, like I was literally laughing out loud mm. with some of the things, although they weren't, I guess, trying, like the, the book wasn't trying to be funny. So I found that interesting. To just, I mean, to just go on a slight tangent here, I was wondering, so the book was written by a, a woman and also read by a woman. And I was wondering if... You're wondering if women just I aren't was, funny? Nico, that's no, no, not... <laughs> I'm wondering if I would have found it more funny if it was read by a man. I don't know. I, and it's really hard to experiment with, like... But I just don't know. Mm. I, I I would be interested to see like some kind of study where a joke is read by a man by a woman, and like they're both mm. uh, like the the joke would be rated, I guess, by thousands of people, and to see if there's a, a significant difference there. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't say women are less funny than men or anything, but some people do perceive it differently. Like my aunt, when I was doing my stand-up comedy, like fifty percent of the people on my gig were women, and she was like, "Oh." I just mm. don't find women funny. And like that was from, mm. from my aunt. And I was like, you can't <laughs> yeah. say that, but you are a woman. So I guess you can. And uh, yeah, it certainly yeah. is odd the way they get perceived with like complaining. But it's, yeah. it's interesting. I, I, just, I mean, it's, it's I think, there, right? It doesn't like, yeah, anyway. Uh, maybe it's just like the actual narrator wasn't a very good narrator. And like, it's, when you listen to Sapiens, the book, like the person, it's so like in-depth intellectual. And he just comes out with these one-liners, but he just says it in such a good tone that you're like mm -hmm. shit that was mm -hmm. hilarious so it's maybe it's actually yeah. the person besides the, uh, the gender i'd be curious anyway back to our guts mm. yeah i mean yes I, I took away some interesting things but uh, i've noticed that 
I didn't learn too many new things. I liked on the subject of humor the fact about your sphincters and that you don't ever vomit when you're laughing too much, but you do fart sometimes because of vomit's like a worse thing, and just the way that you regulate yourself and the way the esophagus mm-hmm. is built stops mm-hmm. that from happening. But when you are laughing, you know, cramp up and try to just force everything out from inside of you, but you can mm. just never be sick mm. from laughing. But you, you can basically mm. shit yourself if the pressure gets too much, which I thought was amusing at the time and would have helped if we had described some of the other bits that were first. <laughs> but anyway, it felt on topic, so <laughs> no, I went for it. Fair enough, man. That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah, mm. some, I think, yeah, for me, the, the biggest takeaway from the book in general is just the fact that first, there are billions of different bacteria living in our guts. And these bacteria are unique to everyone. So they're partially given to you by your parents, but also partially like you, if you're as a kid rolling around in the mud, you might get some bacteria inside of you. And so they also have a huge impact on your body. And Mm. so, yeah, I mean, there's been some connections found between depression and she gives some good examples there. For example, there's this type of bacteria that causes mice, but also humans to act like very irrationally and almost suicidally. So they found that mice that had this type of bacteria in their guts would literally go lay inside the food bowl of a cat. I liked the book. It didn't contain any mind-blowing revelations for me, although I've looked at some other people discussing it and, and they did learn quite a lot. And to be fair, my girlfriend and I have been researching this topic quite a lot because she has IBS mm. and she also has anxiety. And so there's just proven to be a very strong link there. And so we've been researching it quite a lot. And actually, a few years ago, we um, used this company called Viome, and we let them do an analysis of our own gut microbiome. And they actually gave us yeah. like recommendations on, okay, you have these bacteria, so you should avoid eating these types of foods, and you should try eating these types of foods. So that I found pretty interesting. But that's also one of the reasons why this book like didn't teach me that much crazy stuff. Yeah, same. I have mine analyzed a few years ago and came up with a lot of recommendations and details stuff and I was I guess I was expecting a bit more of an understanding of how mm. that worked and those things besides just the general well there's loads of different things and it mm-hmm. affects you in different ways and it's important which didn't teach me loads though I did enjoy like learning about like sort of the stuff you get from yeah. like mother's milk and things that was missing from baby powder and the study where I think they sent like the Incas or something, they took their babies yeah, to the so Arctic I think... to claim them as like owning of that continent because they'd been brought and born there and stuff. And they all died, not because of like the cold, but because of the lack of gut bacteria because no bacteria really survives. And so they weren't able to like, they weren't able to get the new bacteria into their guts when they... Yeah, yeah. I think I messed that, with that part up. I think it's just <laughs> Sorry. Like modern South Americans. Yes. Need, it took yeah. kids to, to be born on Antarctica to, to have like a natural claim to that land. And so yeah. it actually, like on the way back, these kids all died because they started coming into contact with other bacteria. And because in Antarctica, it's too cold for bacteria to thrive. And so they couldn't handle the new microbes and, and other stuff in the air they encountered. And also one thing I found interesting was the difference between uh, childs born through the normal way or childs born through a cesarean section. Mm. And so there, and there's actually a lot of bacteria from the mother inside the, the vagina that come in touch with the child's skin and that actually in that way get incorporated into the child's microbiome. And so if you have a birth through a cesarean section, they miss out on all of those 
good bacteria and that might result in like yeah. a, a higher chances of asthma and other types of, of, of illnesses that are related to the bio. yeah it's quite a lot you you think that that could be some way of doing some form of swab i think that's what they like, do but it's not the same that. right and uh, and also yeah. the the child like gets after a cesarean gets usually taken by like a nurse or someone else and that so it comes into contact with their skin and it's never the same mm. yeah yeah i find it very interesting yeah which <laughs> I've got two tangents Go to come from this one. So one was the just the general being exposed to more dirt and stuff. And then the households that have more antibacterial cleaning products end up with kids that are going to have much more likelihood of asthma mm-hmm. and things. And in developed nations where they use a lot more cleaning products and this kind of stuff have much higher rates of these sort of diseases was the one tangent. And then the other tangent I've already forgotten. <laughs> oh, damn it. That's okay. Didn't, didn't say this <laughs> quickly enough. It might come to me. <laughs> no, okay, maybe it'll get back to you uh, later. Yeah, but it's true. I think what I took away from this is that whenever I have a baby, there's like this new trend where... Yeah, go ahead. I see that you found your second point. Yeah, it's arrived. <laughs> so going back to that as the mothers get her born, the blood type that you have was, was quite interesting. So I kind of knew that it's like it's a immune response to different blood types because you recognize your own as, as safe and otherwise you don't but as a baby you don't have that so you can actually get injected by any blood type as a baby initially as a newborn which i one mm. thought was really cool and two they often then inject babies with the mother's blood to transfer some of the t-cells and general immune response stuff that she's got in her and other bacteria which i just mm-hmm. found quite interesting and mm-hmm. had no idea about so cool, cool fact yeah i think it's <laughs> yeah there's not enough research being done about this and i think it's like as years progress and as research progress we're going to be finding out a lot of things but it, it may be i feel like every book these days makes me think of anti-fragile <laughs> the book by taleb and his thoughts yeah uh, i found this again is a case where so i i did this biome thing where i i let like I sent a stool sample to a company that will that would then analyze my microbiome. And I think today I probably wouldn't do that after reading Taleb's work because I think the biome, like there's billions of different bacteria in our guts. And I think science is not there yet. Like we don't know enough to understand like what each of these do, let alone what in combination they do. Because like different families of, of microbes have different effects if they're together or not. There's not yet, science is not far enough yet to have like real actionable insights from my perspective. Like you cannot have a company analyze your stool and have them tell you like, oh, you should eat this and that because that's going to be good for you and this is going to be bad for you. Mm. I think for now, because science hasn't evolved far enough yet on, on that specific field, you're better off experimenting yourself. And I think that's also what you recommend. Like, you know, try, if you have issues with certain types of foods, you know, try avoiding them for for a while. And if things get better, um, just leave them out or start adding them in one by one. And that way you'll know what triggers your gut and what makes you feel bad, etc. And same way is, mm. you know, you could try some different probiotics or prebiotics that might, you know, make you feel better in general. And again, instead of relying on science, just try them out and see what makes you feel better. Yeah, definitely. As it's interesting to hear you say that, okay, being a bit anti-science, but the whole like over-medicating thing, I think you can end up, yeah, not necessarily doing what you know about. And certainly I would not go anywhere near fecal transplants mm. just yet mm-hmm. <laughs> until you really know what's going on there. Cause some people have had, they had some really bad 
impact from them. But we could discuss that a bit later. But in general, yeah, she was very much against medicating things and such, which is always useful. So I was surprised though, and she then was advocating probiotics. When she first started talking about that, I thought she was going to like mm-hmm. start shooting it down. But <laughs> they said, no, it seems quite good. Cause you know, she's always talking about like kefir and all these mm-hmm. other natural, basically in every single culture, there's some form of natural fermentation. Um, yeah food that's been fermented and, and has healthy bacteria for you and she says like if that's so important and i'll definitely i've already been trying to have like kefir and kimchi mm-hmm. and all these things so another reason to do more of that and also your probiotic probably doesn't hurt mm-hmm. you too much it's useful to look on the shelf for what it is mm-hmm. if you know what you're looking for especially if you've tested and found some that work for you and not but otherwise on the medication side i thought she did have a very good argument for not medicating as much as possible and just the number of people that take Mm. antibiotics who actually have a virus in the first place and they're just making their lives even worse for themselves than they already are is is kind of hilarious but also it's just bad because it's just putting more of that medication in when it's not needed and giving the rise of superbugs and other bacteria that can be resistant to things just because you're filtering out for them so basically try and avoid medicating yourself wherever possible Mm -hmm. unless you really really need to when it comes to anything like that, especially when it comes to antibacterials. And if you do genuinely, genuinely need it, absolutely mm. finish your prescription, which is something that I wasn't always good at doing. Like I'd get better and I'd just be like, oh, well, cool. I don't need to take this for another week. But it's important to finish it because if you'll have killed like maybe 99% of the bacteria or whatever. And the last bit is the bit that's like the strongest and most resistant to it. And you're kind of filtering out for that. So if you don't finish it, that's the the week where you should like kill that final bit off and so it's really important to make sure you mm-hmm. definitely do and yeah in most cases it probably it won't affect you but it, it might just be that you are the one with like the thing that, and then the medication that you've got will be useless anyway if that thing sort of grows in abundance and stuff so good reason to um finish your yep. prescriptions and make sure you have a full one rather than just like oh i have a bit of something left over i'll just take this yep. once again it proved our good friend Taleb Wright, when he said, you know, certain medical, yeah. like very invasive medical procedures, you should only do them when they're absolutely necessary. And so she in the book talks about antibiotics and you should only take them if it's crucial because they have a lot of potentially severe effects if you don't take them when you really need them. Or even if you need them, they, they might have effects. So only do it if it's it's really essential. And so, yeah, to, to get back to the mm. fermentation stuff, I found it really interesting. So she talks about some Bulgarian mountain tribes that when milking their cows or their goats, they have to transport their milk in like leather bags and transport it for a long while, which gives the milk time to ferment inside these leather bags. And so she found that, or, or researchers found that these people tend to live very long lives. I found that very interesting. And I thought that there might be some link to the lifespan book where there's some processes mm. in terms of longevity that might be influenced by bacteria. And I, there must be, right? There's also this thing called the Korean paradox. And so the Korean paradox is the, it looks at the fact that Koreans actually eat very, a lot of salty foods. And so you'd expect because of their high amounts of salt that they eat, that they have a lot of hypertension and cardiovascular issues, but they don't. And so that's a paradox. And so some people think that that is related to the fact that they eat so much kimchi, which is also fermented food. Mm. And so in general, I think yeah, fermented stuff is pretty good for you. It contains a lot of naturally healthy bacteria. 
So yeah, I try to eat yogurt once in a while, and I've tried sauerkraut. Mm. Didn't like yeah, it, definitely. so I'm, I'm staying away from that. Oh, what? I love it. Oh. I, lo- I love all these things. Yeah. It's nice. I just no. need to get more of them. Yeah, great. Enough. But I, on the Korean thing, it might just be like their bodies are more adapted to deal with salt and they just need more of it. And then they also just get the benefit of kimchi Could be. anyway. Could be. Yes. And on the, the Bulgarian tribe having to sort of walk many miles with their like bag of milk that ends up fermenting each time that got reused. Could just be that after that they have to do a shitload of walking before they ever get to eat it, I think. And that they're like just pretty healthy and not eating too much or half the time they're throwing it away because it's gone like sour or something and they just don't eat much. And longevity was saying that if you eat less, you're also going to be healthy. I so hope knows, that there was a but, control, like that was controlled for it. But I, I, get, yeah. I get your point. It's, uh, yeah, you're trying to think critically. Good. Yeah. It's just a, what's the word? Good. Word's not working for me right now. Just a sort of example story rather than like a experiment. Exactly. That's okay, the man. word. That's, <laughs> so, yeah. that's, that's what you're um, here for, the uh, non-English native speaker. <laughs> Same word in Dutch. So that's okay. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> nice to hear. Okay. So, yeah, I found the fermenting stuff interesting and like the microbes and things. Then the other thing was just the anatomy of your gut. It literally starts at your mouth, goes all the way to your anus and it's basically like a second skin it's just this entire tube through mm. your body and it's really long if you sort of put it out but then if you put it into like the actual surface area wise and then like made it like as a tube i think it'd be like seven kilometers long or something mm. ridiculous in terms of the amount of like folds that it has and then sort of micro folds mm-hmm. within the folds and things so your food goes on quite a long journey mm. through you which is it's kind of super awesome and starts by you chewing. So firstly, if you chew more, that's good, as we've already discovered with breathe. And then you, you swallow and it goes into your stomach, which is, as you've always seen in like the pictures, it's not like this small circular bag or something. It's like this weird shape and there is a reason for that. So it goes, I think it descends to the left and it's slightly to the right from your esophagus, which stops it from you from vomiting unless you really want to. And then the bottom, it kind of, you almost have like two stomachs for the price of one because of the exit tube is still a bit higher than the base. And so like when you're drinking water and liquids and things that don't need much processing, they kind of get dealt with and go straight into like the rest of your digestive system quite fast. And then the other things that need to sort of sit in the acid for longer do. So you can be processing different things, which is why sometimes when you vomit, you're like, why is something from yesterday come up and not the thing that I ate earlier this morning? which I always found really fascinating. And they're like, there's always seems to be tomatoes. And I'm like, I didn't eat tomatoes for two days. What's going on? <laughs> so that's one mm-hmm. of those reasons. And also, I think I, I, I quite liked, just on tangent, she spoke about the number of animals that mm. can't vomit. And like, so like horses literally mm. cannot vomit. So if they eat something bad, mm. they're kind of screwed. And... <laughs> Or other, like some of the smaller mammals, like mice and things can't vomit either, but they eat in a different style. Mm. So they nibble at things a little bit. They'll take like a little nibble and then they'll like, they'll wait and walk away and then they'll wait for a reaction. And then before they'll eat more of things, which I guess you sort of have heard about, but never really realized mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. Or at least I've felt like I've seen them like nibbling things and then leaving it for a while and then coming back to it. And so that's kind of cool. Whereas we as humans just sort of eat stuff unless it tastes like terrible and we don't learn as quickly if something's bad for us as they do. 
we have to sort of vomit a few times and then we'll learn like okay this was bad mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting and and anyway we you then have the entire rest of your gut and i got a bit bored of the explanation of the rest of it but you you have like the vagus nerve which kind of controls everything going on with inside you even though you don't really know it subconsciously which is, is pretty cool and then you get to like the end like your anus and you have two sphincters which is something i didn't realize but then when she explains it you know exactly what she's talking about so you have like the outer sphincter which is maybe it's like the one that you know is like your asshole basically mm-hmm. speaking and then you have like an inner one which has like greater control in some ways and the inner one you don't really control consciously as such but what it will do is as you're getting like full of gas or excrement that needs to come out it'll let a little bit out to test and then like your outer one you have control of consciously and you can feel and you have like a bit of gas in in like the waiting zone area or poo or whatever and your mind will be like oh i think i need to fart or i need to poo and you'll then like be like oh look at my surroundings have i had a conversation with someone am i able to get to a toilet or not and then you'll work out what to do (laughs) and and if it's like you need to get to the toilet you'll go to the toilet and then like the inner one will just open up and like poof you have a poo and if not like you'll hold it and it might even be able to like retract it a little bit so it still comes from your conscious but it becomes a subconscious thing that happens and like with farting you're more likely to get away with it but if it's like okay well i could get away with it but i don't want to do it you might but you probably won't get so much gas coming down again unless there's just like a crazy amount of filled up of gas but you can usually hold it if you really really try which is it's kind of interesting that you have like this waiting zone area and then like this control thing and it's only if you have like illnesses or a crazy amount of buildup of things that it then sort of comes out which is it's just cool i like that i'm glad you like that sir <laughs> yeah well, i'm glad you learned stuff about <laughs> okay not interested <laughs> yeah definitely and the entire grading of of poop naught to ten point scale no, I, I know that was like well, yeah my, i haven't my, got the descriptions fine. that's that's what i remember from that yeah i think it was like a is it four or five or three or four level where it's sort of soft but not too soft and not too hard basically and generally together in a few mm. entities rather than like not like droppings or black or hard or anything or not sloppy that's kind of what mm. you want you're getting the most amount of nutrients and stuff from your food the others are signs of problems and if it happens consistently over for more than two weeks you should see a doctor about your <laughs> weird poo mm-hmm. yep good i've discussed everything that i wanted to discuss we didn't talk too much about it and you spoke about anxiety and gut and just the general how it affects your peace of mind and and the other way around how your like mind can affect your gut do you want to speak about that at all because I, I do find it very interesting the way some people like lose so much weight when they go through a breakup and just can't eat whereas other people eat all the time and and other things mm. like that it's, but it didn't get discussed too much in the book, even though she sort of alluded to it. I don't know if you had any other insights. Just as a yeah, that's a good point. Let's get into that it. a bit more. I, I have the impression that the research on that is not really conclusive yet, which probably means that they're like starting to find patterns, but there's no like real evidence to say, okay, this influences that. But there's, I think there's enough evidence to say that there's a connection. And so, I mean, one of the things is that if your gut's upset, you're not going to feel well emotionally. And there's like two-way streets, which means that if, if something really bad happens to you, I think PTSD could also result in like irritable bowel issues. 
So that's a two-way street. So mm. that's pretty like been documented pretty well. One thing you reminded me of with what you said is that we've also seen that there's some people. You know, we all know someone who's like who can eat whatever they want and they don't gain like one gram of fat. You know, who stay skinny, whatever they eat. Yeah. And I mean, some people, or most of the time, if I hear about something like that, I, I usually think about like metabolism and that causing that. But apparently, it can have a lot more to do with like the certain types of bacteria in the gut. Some of them influence like where fat gets deposited and whether it gets transported to the muscles or immediately stored in the organs and in, in your fat cells. And so, yeah, your microbiome can actually decide whether you gain weight easily or gain fat easily or gain muscle probably easily, which is pretty cool because I think that in a while science will be able to, you know, maybe either, you know, genetically enhance some microbes to live in your gut, which would result in, you know, automated calorie restriction. You know, we in our previous book, we saw that mm. there's a very big chance that restricting calories helps your longevity. And if you, because, and right now you have to do that by eating less, but if you could eat as much as yeah. you'd like and your gut would just not process half of what you ate, that'd be freaking amazing. Or only yeah. the healthy stuff, that'd be even better. So yeah, I think chances are that we'd be able to do stuff like that. And that's pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I mean, there's lots going on in the gut and coming out towards ratings. It's, there is still lots to learn from it, I think. But uh, some other, well, I'm not sure, the tangents, some other things that I did think about was back to the thing on cats was also like toxoplasma yeah. can come from the gastrointestines of infected cats, which is kind of common. And if you are a pregnant lady, you should really avoid being too near cats, especially cat wee. So if you have cats in the house, your husband should be the one cleaning out the cat litter mm-hmm. if you're a pregnant lady, just on a word of safety. And then otherwise, on the recommendations was also just having a diet that's low in plant fiber can reduce the abundance of a lot of uh, microbes that are useful for you. So you should definitely be eating mm-hmm. a lot of plants again, which generally comes in advice in, mm-hmm. in all books to do with the body mm-hmm. is eat more plants. So again, eat more plants. Um, was a thing and that's mm-hmm. those are my points that i i have now for the book so we can <laughs> one more point i remember like having no, just <laughs> to go back to your toxoplasmos or, or whatever yeah um point i remember like having like a, a, a couple over for dinner and hannah being like my girlfriend being like we can't give them salad because she's pregnant and i was like why couldn't we give her salad when she's pregnant and so apparently like there's a chance that cats pee on that salad and if the pregnant women eats it that they'll have the issue so yeah literally like if they eat salad they need to wash it very thoroughly and a lot of pregnant women just avoid salads outright wow yeah there we go no salads yeah. for my pregnant friends anymore yeah. that's, that's... okay <laughs> i guess enough about uh Kathy. yeah uh, sam give us your rating <laughs> i feel a seven i was gonna go with six but then we actually had lots of things to say so and i'm not gonna lie I didn't get around to making notes and like all of these things came out of me. So apparently I remembered more and had stuff to say, but I, I still didn't feel like that. Oh my God, I want to sh- tell mm-hmm. everyone to go and read it, which is sort of like eight and above for me. So yeah, strong seven. Nice. So for me, I think I appreciated it less because I already knew quite a lot of the stuff that the book talks about. And, but I feel it's, it's very useful for a lot of people because I think it's still very under-researched and I think I'm, 
where there's not many people who know or who have researched it uh, out of interest. And so I think it's quite relevant for a lot of people to read, just to realize how big an effect the gut has on us. And so, but I'm going to still give it a six because it's like not mind blowing. As in, I feel like the core points could be made way shorter. Like I didn't really need mm. to know about the different sphincters at the end of our, of our, yeah. no, what? yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, okay. That bit was great, Sam, but I think like the whole stuff. thing you could summarize probably you into maybe a like that stuff, but I'm, I'm <laughs> just not like that, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I would have preferred to have something like dedicated to the microbiome because that's what I found it more most interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I give it a six, and I also I don't know I didn't like that it was trying to be too funny while it really wasn't. I don't know. Might have preferred something more serious. So yeah, six mm. final score. Yeah, I feel like. It could have been like in a if our bodies could talk or a different book about just the overall body. It could yeah. have been like one yeah. chapter on the gut, one chapter on the microbiome, and max, or maybe one whole yeah. chapter for the whole thing. Yeah. And that'd have been fine. So if this stuff really interests you, I think there's probably some more things you can research. But if you don't know a lot about this and you want to have like a, a some basic understanding, I think the book makes sense. Yeah, it's really it's yeah. enjoyable yeah. reading. It's good as listening well. to it's as well. It's not cool. Yeah. All right, so, that's that rounds up guts for our next book we will be reading burn the misunderstood science of metabolism i think is going to be related to stuff in this book and that book is written by herman ponser so until then have a have a good week i guess and uh, yeah speak to you then cheers thank you for listening to our podcast if you like what you heard feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends if you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment feel free to join us on reason Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.